So I want to thank you all for coming back this evening for our Night of Worldview. And our focus tonight is on artificial intelligence or AI and the gospel. And if those two pieces do not sound as though they go together, Lord willing, by the time tonight is done, you will see the reason why those are being connected. Um, also, on the front of your outline sheet, there are different pieces that are there that we put every single time that helps people not only understand but also form a biblical worldview. So I'm going to encourage you, if you have not taken the time to read through those pieces, please do so. Um, all of those parts are important as to why we're doing these nights and the importance of worldview. So this evening is going to have three main parts. And part number one, I will give an introduction as well as an overview. I'm going to set up our topic. I'll spend about 25 to 30 minutes uh, giving concerns as well as opportunities related to artificial intelligence and the gospel. And like I said a moment ago, those two pieces might not sound as though they should be in the same sentence, but hopefully by the time tonight is done, you will see why it is important for Christians to act with discernment as well as with truth. Uh, part two tonight is going to be an interview that I am going to have with Vicki Davis. Now, many of you know exactly who Vicki Davis is. Um, others who might be watching online or maybe you're new to Sherwood, you might not know Vicki. Um, so let me give a quick introduction as to why she is a person that I want to interview tonight. Um, not only being the technology as well as the computer science teacher at SCA for middle and high school, but also Vicki is one of the most sought after voices in the areas of education and technology. Uh, she runs a very well-known blog. She has authored a number of books. Um, she speaks at events for Microsoft, for Google, for Dell, and a number of other companies. She has lectured at universities around the country, including places like Princeton and Harvard. In 2021, Vicki received the award as being the top education influencer in the world. Not in the area, in the world. Okay, so if you follow her through social media, you will see that there is a social media following that also aligns with that honor. She is an expert in this particular field, and we are grateful that Kip and Vicki are members and family right here at Sherwood, as well as the fact that she teaches at SCA. So we're going to bring Vicki up with part number two. And then part number three tonight is going to be myself and Vicki giving next steps. We're going to share follow-up pieces for individuals who want to understand artificial intelligence more. They want to know how it connects back to the gospel. So we're going to provide those pieces at that time. So before we go any further, let's take a moment to pray and we will jump in with every part of this. Heavenly Father, we ask this evening that you would guide us through the conversation, help our minds to be able to grasp all the connections that are going to take place and to be able to have clarity as to how these pieces relate to the Imago Dei, being created in the image of God, and the gospel message. God, we ask that you would guide the conversation. In Jesus' name, amen. So we start with the introduction as well as the overview. So let me just kind of say, this is a few of the articles within the last couple of months on artificial intelligence and how it's impacting our society. Front of Christianity Today, right now, is an entire section, Imago Day: how artificial intelligence will shape our souls. Front cover, 
multiple articles inside. I just found out before coming up to speak, there are two movies at the theaters right now about how artificial intelligence is going to take over the world. Um, artificial intelligence, whether we want to believe it or not, it is everywhere right now. So let's begin with what would probably be a reasonable place, and that is what is artificial intelligence? What is AI? Well, there's a number of different ways that people define things. I have put one of those definitions on the board. Artificial intelligence is the simulation of human intelligence by machines, especially computer systems. Okay, basic little definition right there. Uh, AI programming, it focuses on cognitive skills that include learning, reasoning, self-correction, as well as creativity. Here's what I mean by each of those. By learning, AI acquires data and uses algorithms to turn it into actionable information. By reasoning, AI chooses the right algorithm to reach the desired result. By self-correction, AI is continually refining the algorithms to ensure that they provide the most accurate possible results. And by creativity, AI uses neural networks, rules-based system, statistical methods, and other techniques to generate images and text and music as well as ideas. So why are so many people concerned about AI? Well, if you have watched any sci-fi movie in the last 30 years, you have been conditioned to be concerned about AI. Okay, so um, we've learned some stuff through the movies. And for those of you who might not have watched all of these movies, I'm going to just throw out some things we learned through like the six Terminator movies and the Star Trek franchise and War Games and the Matrix and Transformers and the list goes on and on. Here's what we've learned through those movies. When artificial intelligence meets humanity, it doesn't end well for humanity. That's what every one of those movies is basically doing. In fact, that's two of those movies in the theaters right now. Artificial intelligence is going to take over the world. So it is understandable that people get antsy when you bring up artificial intelligence. We're like, I've seen the movie and it doesn't end well. Pull the cord now, you know, cut the thing off right now. Nothing good comes out of that scary room in the computer lab. So just stop all of that right now. We don't like it. So there's other people who have concerns, but probably for more reasonable reasons. Uh, they have read about how AI is doing away with many jobs, and they're concerned that their job might be one of those on the line, and how is that going to impact their family? And then there's others who are concerned because they just don't like anything new. And AI is new. It doesn't matter if you're talking a new chicken sandwich down at Chick-fil-A, if it's talking about the latest update on the current smartphone they already have. If it's new, it's bad, and it's of the devil. So everyone has opinions about AI. But here's the reality. We already interact with artificial intelligence almost every moment of every day. From social media feeds to online carts to smart thermostats to Alexa and Google Home, AI is everywhere. Uh, AI technologies are already driving many of the modern conveniences within our society. So let's go to our next question. How is artificial intelligence currently being used? And this is by no means an exhaustive list, but here's just a, a way to kind of get you started as to how integrated artificial intelligence already is within our culture. AI influences our social media feeds, 
communication platforms, banking systems, manufacturing, and military capabilities. It's been used to automate repetitive tasks, to generate business leads, to create translation tools for communication, to process large amounts of data, and to help with quality control. AI has proven helpful in diagnosing certain forms of cancer. It's used in pharma, it's used in insurance, it's used in identity theft, it's used in fraud detection. AI has revolutionized the areas of marketing as well as advertising. And it's revolutionized those areas by what's referred to as personalization. Uh, based upon your own, your own online searches, based upon the images that you like, based upon the posts that you create on social media, articles that you read, items that you buy, AI learns what you like and it personalizes much of the internet specifically for you. You will start seeing personalized content. It's amazing how you begin to see things you really like popping up on feeds. And every time you go online, the, the advertising is giving personalized content. There's now personalized messaging. You'll begin to notice that your name will pop up in messaging and your occupation in the city that you live in. And there's definitely a lot on the side of personalized ads. If you've ever been to lunch with a friend and in casual conversation, you say, I'd love to take a trip to Hawaii, and here's a couch that I've been looking at. And then you go home and you go online, and all of a sudden, Hawaii trips start popping up on your feed, and the exact couch you describe verbally is now showing up in your feed. Welcome to the world of AI, where everything is listening and nothing is private, and your world is getting personalized for you. Now, some of you might be saying, Paul, that's scary. And it kind of is in many ways. I get that. So let's, let's try to pull back the scary and let's see where some of these other pieces are going. Are there different types of artificial intelligence? Absolutely. So uh, Arned Heinz, who is a professor of computer science and engineering at Michigan State University, he gave a basic breakdown of the types of AI, put them into four types or categories. Uh, they are reactive machines, that is AI systems that have no memory, uh, but they are task specific. Then there is those that have limited memory. Uh, these AI systems have memory so that they can use past experiences to inform future decisions. A lot of what is taking place in self-driving cars right now is using that form of technology. Then type three is theory of mind. That is a term that comes out of psychology. When it is applied to AI, it means that this is a system that would have social intelligence to understand emotions. This type of AI is able to infer human intentions and to predict human behavior. And then there is a fourth type, and that is self-awareness. This type of AI has a sense of self and it gives consciousness. Uh, machines with self-awareness understand their own current state. And depending upon what sources you read, that type of AI has still not yet been created. But it seems like it is rapidly coming down the path towards us. Now, here's our next question. Isn't AI just a morally neutral tool? Well, yes and no. Uh, AI is a tool. And scripture doesn't condemn a tool as being evil or good. Tools can be used for both causes. 
So while AI may be considered morally neutral, its creators are not morally neutral. And AI will influence and change us every time we use it. I'm going to explain more of that in a few moments. So here's our next question. Why is AI, why is artificial intelligence a gospel concern? Well, while AI may be considered morally neutral, the technology can be used for the glory of God and the betterment of society, or it can be used to degrade human dignity and hurt those who were created in God's image. Anytime God's glory, God's creation, and sin enter the conversation, you've got a gospel concern on your hands. AI is already being used to degrade people and to deny basic human rights. In countries like China, Russia, North Korea, and Egypt, AI facial recognition is being used to control political dissidents and even take human life. That should be a concern for all of us. But it is that same technology that also is being used to stop terrorist threats before the events occur. The same piece that is being used for evil can also be used for good. The ethical as well as the moral questions surrounding AI are countless and they are complex. They require the church's attention because these technologies are not made in a vacuum. I need you to get this statement. They represent the beliefs and the values of their creators. AI will represent the beliefs and the values of their creators. So to use AI properly, we need to understand the motivations and the worldview behind those who created it and how that is influencing the creation itself. Probably the biggest question that we have to deal with when it comes to artificial intelligence, this is morally, this is spiritually, this is practically. The biggest question we need to address is what does it mean to be human? That's the main issue that has to be found. So what are ethical concerns surrounding AI and how do they connect back to the gospel? Well, the ethical concerns with AI are extensive. Here's just a small little piece to get us started. There are concerns about facial recognition and privacy, automation and the value of work, social media, and the manipulation of truth, medical advancements and human dignity, military technology, as well as justice. Now, many Christians will hold differing views of all of those different positions, but all Christians should have the same view, the same belief that humanity was created in the image of God and humanity has inherent dignity. When something affects people, when it impacts image bearers of God, when it can be used to degrade human dignity, it needs to be a concern for believers. So here are just some of the issues that are taking place right now related to AI and how it fits within a gospel narrative. And again, this is not an exhaustive list. I'm not sharing these things to scare you. I am sharing these pieces to help you understand why it's important that we talk about these issues within a church setting to inform believers so that they can have a biblical worldview about things. So here's the first of those, and this is, again, not an exhaustive list. If humanity is the only part of creation created in the image of God, 
what happens when artificial intelligence is being viewed as human? What happens when the lines of humanity and technology are increasingly blurred? Where does it lead when AI technologies are taking human pronouns, using human voices, taking human names, giving human responses, and being merged into human families? If God, here's another piece, if God gave humanity the gift of work, what happens to the person when the gift of work is being replaced by a machine? Now, I'm aware machines have been taking positions of work now for a couple of hundred years, especially since the Industrial Revolution back in 1760. But we're on the verge right now of a new technological revolution where the replacement that we're describing there is going to be far more extensive and it's going to happen far faster than it's ever occurred before. How does that impact a person's value, their sense of worth, their desire to contribute, and even their sense of purpose when many of the things that they were skilled at doing are now being replaced somewhere else? It's how the body of Christ needs to look at this. If God wants people to die to self, walk in truth, and flourish with him, what happens when AI creates a world that is totally about self, where truth is harder to discern, and where it promises that it can be a God for you. And by the way, the creators of a lot of your AI have, have been quoted as saying, we are creating a God that the world des desires and needs. That's scary language. Okay, so what happens when it is promising something that only God can give? If truth is an important part of the Christian life, and it is, what happens when AI reflects and magnifies the flawed as well as the biased mindset many times of its creators? There's already concerns. There's already pieces that are moving through legislation right now where there's concerns about AI rewriting major parts of history that are found online. It's already perpetuating political falsehoods online, creating chatbot hallucinations online. Whoever writes the code, whoever creates the tool, also controls the narrative. These are concerns believers should have. How will tools like ChatGPT impact honesty and integrity and work ethic among students as well as among professionals? Uh, what toll will virtual relationships like Tamagotchi children and chatbot friends have on real relationships? If you have not heard of those terms, let me give them to you quickly. Tamagotchi children are virtual kids that adults can interact with online and especially through virtual reality. You can dress them, you can cuddle with them, you can talk with them, you can take them on trips and adventures. You can pause their growth and development, you can create the exact type of an idea, the exact mindset that you want that child to have. You can do all of these things and listen to the way the people who are promoting it, listen to how they sell it. They're being touted as, quote, requiring minimal resources and will cost next to nothing to bring up, end of quote. By the way, if you thought it was hard when you were growing up and maybe a parent said something like, why can't you be more like your sibling? 
Could you imagine being compared to something that was created completely in the mind of your parents? Like, I want this attitude. I want this personality. I don't want a child who's ever going to talk back. Okay. So let's go on to the next of those. There's also the area of chatbot friends where the connections being created are so strong that it's already requiring mental health support even this early on. Chatbot friends can be boyfriends, they can be girlfriends, or they can just be friend friends. They're always available to talk. They're never going to turn you down. They give advice based on programming. They are programmed to show empathy as well as to emulate love. And their existence right now has created an issue that is referred to as artificial intimacy. One of the dangers in these that psychologists and counselors are already having to work with is they require nothing and they offer everything. So when people have formed attachments, and by the way, there's only about 2 million, and I say only 2 million, but there's only about 2 million people that are currently using this type of relationship that we can see online. But here's the thing. When somebody has had a relationship in a virtual world where they're always there, always happy, always willing, always engaged, it's hard for people to pull out of a virtual world and now engage a real relationship. Because nobody ever compares to the, the chat bot that you had online. What happens when more and more pastors use artificial intelligence to create sermons that sound biblical, but they are computer generated? If you were to go online right now, one of the articles on Fox News is of a pastor last month who created an entire message based out of chat GPT and is concerned about the implications that it's had. Here's the reason that should concern all of us. When messages are being created that are not led by the Spirit, they are not being processed in prayer, they are not even being created by humans who have the capacity to know and to love God, and yet those pieces are now going to be shared more and more with congregations. Imagine the spiritual depth of, con of congregations over time when what they're getting is a regurgitation of information that is found online, not somebody who has been sitting with God. How will the church handle a new wave of identity challenges? In this next decade, you will begin to see a wave of identity issues that come back from people who consider themselves to be tech beings. These individuals consider themselves to be non-binary, but in a different sense than what we're hearing a lot of right now. That means they don't consider themselves to be fully human, and they don't consider themselves to be fully artificial intelligence or AI. As more types of technology are being embedded into the human body, where does our humanity end and where does technology begin? There are talks right now of a neural link chip that is being embedded in skulls that can potentially restore eyesight to people who have been born blind and lessen the effects of different types of mental health challenges. And on the surface, that sounds incredible. But imagine for just a moment what it's like having a brain that has an external hard drive attached into it. If you're looking for what a picture of this would be like, think of an avatar on steroids. What does personhood look like when artificial enhancements allow us to do more than our natural bodies were ever designed to do? We are in uncharted territory, 
And the creators of AI not only admit we're in uncharted territory, they're also concerned about where it's going. They're like, I, I don't know how we can stop it. Right now, there's processes and policies that are being put in place to try to get ahead of things. There, there is no putting the genie back in the bottle. Okay, so after hearing some of those things, our tendency may be to stick our head in the sand and pray more fervency, fervently even so come Lord Jesus. And, and uh, nothing wrong with praying for Jesus to return, but I want to give four challenges right now based upon where AI is and challenges coming back to believers. Here's the first of my challenges. We need to rethink how we engage with new technology. Uh, AI advancements will open up some exciting opportunities and they will also bring some scary possibilities. Um, I just said a moment ago, there is no putting the genie back in the bottle at this point. It's here, it's going to stay. The question becomes, what do you do with it at this point? Over the years, Christians have had a tendency to resist technological trends. Again, everything new is considered to be bad. That was the same thing that happened with radio, with TV, with the internet. It's also happening right now with AI. We fear uncertainty. And there's no question about it. There's some concerning pieces that are involved here. And while we should be cautious... We are not called to live in fear. We need to look for ways in which that technology, that tool, can be used in a redemptive sense. And we're going to talk about those in just a few moments. Challenge two, we need to stop answering questions that no one is asking and start addressing real problems that people face. Now, that's not just in relation to AI, but this is why it's so important in this conversation. Many Christians are far more interested in internal debates and refining the last 3% of philosophical differences with people who already believe mostly the same thing that you do. And we're not actually answering questions that people who don't know Christ are wondering about. So do you know where they're going for their questions right now? Artificial intelligence, chat GPT. They're asking questions like right now of what is the purpose of life? What is the meaning of life? Is there a God? If there is a God, how can you know God? Why are there so many different religions? They're asking questions like, how can I discover my identity? What does it mean to be human? Does being a follower of Jesus actually make you different in any real sense? How does following Jesus provide hope for my anxiety or hope for my fears? They're asking questions that the church needs to be answering. And if all we're doing is focused on things that nobody's asking, um, shame on us, shame on us. Challenge three, we need to prepare for a major shift within the culture of the church. Now, I am not talking about a shift away from Scripture. I'm not talking about a shift away from truth or the mission that Christ has given us. I am saying that our church services will look different in the next couple of decades because people are coming to church for different reasons. Here's what I mean. There was a time when many people would come to church because culture said you needed to go to church. Culture does not tell people that anymore. There was a time when people would go to church because the pastor could share word studies and cultural issues 
in history that would make the Bible come alive. And they would come because they were interested in learning those things. Well, here's the issue. People are not overly impressed with coming to church and listening for an hour when they got Google at home. When chat GPT can give them information at home in their jammies in 10 seconds, the question now becomes, why do I go to church to get information? Research is showing more and more when asked the question, why do you go to church? It is less and less about information. It is more and more about inspiration and about connection. People want somehow to connect the dots between where they live and what God says and how any of that makes a difference in the real world. That's the pieces people are coming for. There is going to be more and more of a shift in the church moving away from what you might call sage on a stage to guide by my side. You're going to see it more and more. It's going to be less of an emphasis of sit and listen and a whole lot more of, would you walk with me and help me understand how this works out in real life? And by the way, that sounds like discipleship to me. There, and I am not downplaying for a moment the necessity of preaching the word and proclaiming the gospel within a church setting, within a community of faith. I, that is important. What I am saying is you don't make disciples primarily from a stage. You make it up close and personal. If the church is only offering another sit and listen experience, we will see fewer and fewer people who are interested and less and less disciples who are made. Challenge four, we need to continually seek out and invest in meaningful relationships. As AI increases, so will the need for authentic human relationships. So will there need to be greater and greater clarity about relationship with God. This is a really good thing for believers. Uh, life is about relationship. We've been created for relationship. The gospel is a story about relationship. As Christians, we do not need to find a new angle. We need to champion an ancient story. We need to keep telling people about the gospel message that is about relationship. The gospel is a relational story that is going to thrive in relational environments. It thrives in relational settings. And listen, it is going to shine brighter than ever in a relational vacuum. And that is a lot of what we are moving towards. So I am going to pause there. I'm going to let y'all sit with that for a moment. And I'm going to ask if Vicki Davis, if you would come and join me on the, the stage here. Vicki Davis, again, I've introduced her a few moments ago. And uh, this is an area where she can help us take some next steps and some next pieces to understand. So come on in. Thank you, Miss Vicki, for joining us. And if you all would, uh, give Vicki a round of applause for coming. All right, so uh, Vicki, I got the crowd warmed up for you right now. So <laughs> um, scared everybody. <laughs> and again, I, I, I don't want it to be that tonight is a night that scares people um, because we're going to see some of the ways that artificial intelligence is used in a redemptive sense. But what I did want to make sure is that people understood that there are concerns connected to the gospel. And this is not just something for people who love science. It's not just for somebody who loves, you know, computers and programming. This, this is something that impacts all of us. So 
We're going to start, and I've, I've kind of given you some uh, questions in advance, but uh, one of the easiest and probably one of the hardest questions for the night for somebody who's brand new, and we're kind of already introducing people to artificial intelligence, is if you would give a simple intro for people. Th- this, okay. is, this is your field. This is part of what you do. And uh, I recognize I'm not a computer person. So uh, I'd love for you to kind of share some of those pieces. Help us understand a little bit more here. Sure. So first of all, you are right on. And these are the things that are being discussed at all the big companies that you hear testifying in Washington, D.C. These are the things that we're talking about right now. And when, when they call me, these, these are the things we talk about in the classroom. So the big thing you have to remember is that AI is a branch of computer science that uses devices and algorithms to imitate humans. So it imitates humans. It's not human, but it imitates humans. And, you know, I think back to Lost in Space, you know, and they had had the robot that he was talking to, you know, and so we've always had a hard time when when we have machines like that. But spell check, rephrasers, YouTube, all those things, Snapchat filters, those are all AI. Well, when everybody started talking about AI was November 30th of last year when OpenAI introduced something called ChatGPT. Now, to understand ChatGPT, the G is generative. Best way to think of that is think about a generator. How many of you have a generator? A lot of us have a generator. Okay, you put gas in it, electricity comes out. So ChatGPT generates text, not energy. So you put in a prompt, and then out comes all this text. And it can talk in slang. It can rhyme. It, can, it wrote us a, a soccer anthem when we had a soccer state championship. Like, it can write all kinds of different stuff. So that's generative. And the P is that it is um, pre-trained. So pre-trained means when they started training this thing, they went and they had it look at everything on the internet, and it read it all. Just and pause then there. they ran just, out of just everything. Just get that for just a moment. It read it all. 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 It ran out. All. Y'all hear that all? Right. Okay. Carry so on. Carry then on. they trained it to be able to watch videos and understand them. So then it watched everything on YouTube and every video. I'm sure a lot of your sermons got in there. And then they um, ran out of that. And so then they trained it to listen to every podcast and audio file on the internet. Okay, so that's all the stuff that went into ChatGPT, good and bad. Okay, so you can, ta- you can have ChatGPT use a biblical worldview, but one thing I talk a lot about is human intelligence, that you've got to have the human intelligence to make sure you know when it's right or wrong. That's something I teach my students. So then people say, well, can you just block it? Well, no. Windows 11 last week came out, and you can chat with your Windows 11. So some of you are going to like that because you can never make your sound work. So you're going to be able to chat with your computer and say, would you fix my sound? And it'll say, yes, just hit this button. Okay, so that's going to be good for people who struggle with computers or cell phones. Uh, But if you notice at the top of Google and Bing, they now summarize for you at the top. That's generative. My students better not be quoting that because that is unique and that's different. So it's pre-trained. 
And then the T stands for transformer. So just like we are supposed to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that means we're supposed to be new mm. in Christ. Every single time you prompt chat GPT, it transforms and gives you a new different answer. So it's not ever going to give you the same answer twice, but it's kind of like asking me about artificial intelligence today and asking me tomorrow. I'm going to have the same content, but I'm going to give you a similar answer because it's me. So you can't block it. And here's the big thing is just like the Internet, when it came out, it, society changed. It challenged our worldview. We had to get back to the Bible and really know what we believe. So here comes artificial intelligence. It's going to transform everything. It's going to challenge our worldview. We get back to the Bible. And we know there's nothing new under the sun. This is a tool that it can actually take the gospel to the ends of the earth, which Jesus said we have to do. That's our command. And can be used for great good. It saves me hours every week. It's done so many great things for me. But, of course, you have to have those boundaries. So that's your not-so-simple explanation. Hey, well, no, that's, that's fantastic. So I, I have one image I'm going to ask if it can come up on the screen, and you can see the piece that I have right here. Mm -hmm. This is one that uh, talking about how quickly this technology has come into being. This shows the top headline is threads shoots past one million user mark at lightning speed. So if you were to look at the bottom, it's basically tracking how long it took these particular online programs to reach a million users. And the bottom one is Netflix. It took three and a half years for them to get there. Go up, Facebook, by the way, 2004. Man, that seems like uh, <laughs> Facebook has been around a whole lot longer than 2004. But anyway, it took 10 months to reach a million users. ChatGPT that she just mentioned, 2022, it took five days to reach a million users. And then Threads, which is a piece coming out of that, it took one hour to reach a million users. So if you're thinking about, can we put the genie back in the bottle? Can we do something? That, that's not happening. This is moving quicker than what most people could imagine. So, all right, let, let's come back. And because I, I know that even right now, I've given people probably more concern than they ever wanted to have coming to church on Sunday night. But there's a lot of negative press that is about AI. But as believers, we've already said it. You said it. We're not called to live in fear. So what would be maybe three or four things that you would consider to be some of the most positive applications of artificial intelligence? So the first thing we have to remember is that the World Economic Forum says that 85 million jobs will go away because of AI, but 97 million new jobs will be created with humans using AI. Mm. So our children will be using AI, we will be using AI. The sooner we can get comfortable with it, the better off that we're gonna be. But when ChatGPT started, you'd have a bachelor who had like peanut butter and cookies and whatever in their closet, and they would type it in ChatGPT and say, what can I cook with this? Or a mom might have a kid who loves superheroes and needed some ideas for birthday parties and ChatGPT would give them ideas. So that's kind of where it started. But um, recently, um, I did work for a company, and I almost didn't do work for them again, because five years ago, it took them three months to pay me, which is not good when you're just a one-person shop. Um, I recently did some work for them, and they implemented AI chatbots for their accounts payable and their accounts receivable, and I was paid in five days. 
Now, you would think that would be bad for the company, but they actually say they get paid much, much faster. So you're seeing a lot there. Home Depot, um, recently their employee of the year, used AI inside a spreadsheet, and he took their sales forecasting down from two weeks to two hours and added millions of dollars to the bottom line. So Home Depot, if you study what they're doing, they're all about AI because they've seen the bottom line. Um, a lot of people are using AI note takers in meetings. So if you go in Zoom, you'll get a little email afterwards that said this is what you agreed to do. The medical field, like you said, is using it. A big example, though, is from my husband's plant, um, Kip, works in manufacturing. And a lot of his work is putting in cobots. Cobots work alongside humans. A lot of times they do the tasks that humans actually don't want to do or like welding, and, and they do a lot in his operation with welding. And so these cobots work alongside humans. And the funny thing is they actually use like Xbox controllers. So they have jobs now that people need to know how to use Xbox. So kids don't go home and say, mom, you need to let me play Xbox. But that is the truth. Um, so they're saving millions of dollars in manufacturing with that. I use it for podcast editing. It saved my son John time in editing the podcast handling my transcript, and then my biggest thing is I teach Python programming, which is really geeky and hard, um, and it, I use AI to help me teach it, and I could teach so much more, so much faster, and some of my students that are in this audience are probably groaning like, oh, Miss Davis, that's why you do that to us, but um, it does, I can teach so much more than I ever taught before using these AI tools. Okay, so I'm hoping you all hear there's some good pieces coming out of this. Maybe not for the students who are sitting in class thinking that's where all this extra <laughs> workload came from, but I promise this is going to help you down the road. Yeah. Okay, so the emphasis tonight is not only about helping people understand artificial intelligence, but also how it shapes our worldview, understanding gospel implications behind this. So if you would take a few moments and just share some of the ways artificial intelligence can be used in the expansion of the gospel. Right. So first we have to remember that people used to think movies were bad. And then God called this church to work with movies to take the gospel to the end of the earth. Hmm. So as Kip was saying the other day, we were at Jonah's and we were going through all of this. And he said, you know, in the days of Noah, they probably used axes and hammers to kill each other, but Noah used it to build an ark. Hmm. So AI is a tool. It is a tool that can be used for great good to make us more productive, to help us have a job, to make money, to give to the church. Um, but think about it. We are supposed to be salt and light. And I remember when the Internet first came out, people asked me, how could I be a Christian and teach people how to use the Internet? And I'm like, well, you know. Uh, but this is the gospel is on the Internet. Sure. So, um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but... Um, we know that Matthew 24, 14 says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So I was playing with yesterday inside Canva. You can do instant translate for languages. Now, I want to stress something here. One thing I talk a lot about with artificial intelligence is HI, or human intelligence. You should never use AI in a way that you can't supervise. So when you use AI to do translations, you should have someone who can verify that the translation was accurate. But Meta, which is Facebook, uh, came out with a tool that people are testing now that has over 100 languages. So one day when you and John and Ken and Brian all go to Africa, maybe in the next year or two, 
you will have an earpiece on your ear that has a little microphone, kind of like we have here, and you will talk into it. You will share the gospel. You'll probably have somebody there verifying that it's translating right, but they will actually hear in their language what you're saying out of your mouth. And then they'll talk to you, and you'll hear it. So it's going to open up incredible, incredible things. I know that scares us, but we are looking at instant translate, and that is a big, huge thing. The other thing, though, that we have to stress is that there is another kind of intelligence, divine intelligence, or what I would call DI. We know that John 15, 5 says that I am the vine, you are the branches. Any man who remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. Okay. None of this means anything if we're not in the Holy Spirit, if we're not in the Word, if we're not prayed up, if we're not seeking the Lord. Now, my favorite song, as Pastor Seth knows us, is God of the Impossible. Because I feel like it's impossible that somebody from Camilla, Georgia would be an AI expert on anything. But um, our God uses things like movies. And he uses people who don't set limits because he's always doing a new thing. He has called us not to have a spirit of fear, but to be bold Stop whining. You know, my husband also says the only people who like change are babies and then they cry the whole time. <laughs> so we have to just get over it and know that our God has a plan. And when you get on your knees and you say, okay, God, I run a business. What am I going to do about this AI stuff? Because I don't want to go out of business. You pray about it and God will lead you to the right people. And Isaiah 55, 9 says, for as heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. None of this surprises the Lord, but everything we do is out of the overflow of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so even my work in AI, that's an, it's an overflow moment. Mm. Overflow, because Pastor Paul asked us a couple years ago, right when you got here, pray for God to break us. Okay, so I did not know that would mean a broken foot for me, but I did get down there and pray that and um and then when I did God took me to a new place of total dependence on him as he continues to do and that's just where we are we're following you and God has a plan and he's going to use AI and I believe he's going to use AI in our church so one of the things that stood out to me so much and it's because of 25 years or so of doing mission trips is I cannot tell you how many times you're talking to someone and you want so bad to speak to them in their heart language and you're having to wait for a translator and you, you'd recognize things aren't coming across and the thought of being able to sit there and to talk like we're talking and for people to hear in their own language, that is so exciting to me, I can hardly stand myself. Awesome. So, all right, next question here. We just got a few more moments, but if you would, can you give us like a uh, three, four-minute synopsis of how AI is impacting education maybe in the next five to ten years? Obviously, this is a very challenging time to be a teacher. It's actually been challenging for a little while, uh, but uh, because AI is transformative, so it's giving a unique answer every single time. And if we're not careful, our children will cheat themselves out of a good education. So for the first time in history, your child could be an A student and get all the right answers. 
But if they get all the right answers in the wrong way, they're not educated and they don't have the human intelligence to be able to be successful in the world. We need people who are truly educated. Um, now, AI can write in a biblical worldview. I've worked with Christian schools and tell them that, but you better know what a biblical worldview is so you know right. if it's given you a biblical worldview. Now, many years ago, in the dark ages of the 1980s and before, we had world book encyclopedias. And so when a kid came home from baseball practice and he was exhausted, he copied out of the world book encyclopedia. And then the teacher would go and look at the little way, Johnny's paper. By the way, there's all sorts of, of spouses looking at their, their spouse like, mm -hmm, she's <laughs> talking to yeah, you exactly. right now. I, that, okay, that's funny. Go ahead, carry on. So then you, the teacher would look at little Johnny's paper and go, uh, little Johnny did not write this. And pull out the World Book Encyclopedia and open it up and say, Johnny, you copied out of the World Book Encyclopedia. Well, now little Johnny can be tired from baseball practice and he's probably getting back at midnight, not at 8 o'clock like he used to. And he can go into ChatGPT and he can ask ChatGPT to write a five-page paper for his AP computer science class or AP history class about Abraham Lincoln. And it will write it. Now, it, it's good at average writing. It's good at average writing, but if you're a below average writer, you might think that's pretty good, right? So um, we will reap what we sow, and uh, we talk a lot about AI in my class at SCA, and I had a really wise ninth grader who may actually be in the room say, Miss Davis, if my generation doesn't get their act together, if I ever need brain surgery when I'm an adult, I'm going to have to find a really old doctor. <laughs> and, and he was right. But the other thing you have to remember is that the other really cool thing that's happening, we haven't talked about this, is citizen programming. If you are able to describe a program or an app, you'll be able to talk into your phone and say, I want an app that's going to do this. And it will be able to write that for you. And so something called computational thinking, I've been taking classes on this for some time. We have to teach it from kindergarten all the way up. It's the ability to describe procedures because all of us, all of us will be writing programs um, in that way. The big thing is, educators, we have to supervise the use of AI. Parents, you have to supervise it. And I have a lot that I write about that, so I would say, Check my blog out if you, if you want um, to look at that. But, um, and we have to supervise those interactions. I really predict it's going to be a rocky two or three years until we start putting things in place to help kids be more honest. The problem is we're coming off the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And so many kids went home, and you can take a photo of a math problem, and it will work the problem for you. Okay? So they went home, kids went home, and they... For whatever reason, they just start cheating. So now they're coming back, but now they've got these tools, and we really have a generation in crisis. The ACT accused all of us educators of inflating math scores. And it's like, no, math scores are high because kids are, are using these tools. And the problem is it's not about getting the right answer anymore. It's the right process. Mm -hmm. Do I have the process in here, and do I know how to get the right answer? And this is a huge challenge. It's a huge challenge, and and very worrisome for a lot of us. But you know what? We do not have a spirit of fear. Yes. We have to go forward. We have to be relevant to this culture. And God chooses to put us in these conversations. So I'm in education, but we have people in this room who are in the legal profession, who are in the movie profession, 
who are in all types of professions, and it's your job to be salt and light and to speak to issues about AI in your profession and get educated. That's good. Okay, so we've got time for one more piece before we share a number of follow-up uh, steps. So as parents, we want to make sure that our kids are learning. Um, they're doing their own homework. They're involved. You've already introduced some of that. How would you encourage parents to supervise, like, their children, the use of mm -hmm. AI, all of those types of things? So. So I have three S's now, I've got four. Number one, show your work. Remember how we used to get the odd number problems in the back of the book and the teacher would always make us show all our work? Well, the kids not only have to show their work, but you wanna see them doing their work. So the second thing is you need to structure learning time, bring it back to the kitchen table. Right. Cell phones should never be in a bedroom anyway. It should be out of the bedroom. It should be charged in the kitchen. Take it away at 8 o'clock or they won't ever go to sleep and they'll text each other at 2 in the morning and all it takes is one insomniac in a class and the whole rest of the class is awake. So, I know Sounds like it. you're speaking from experience Yeah, right in the morning here. when they all come in like this and you're like, okay, who couldn't sleep last night? Get, the, get those out of the room. But the problem is if Johnny comes home from baseball practice after, and he's, he's working in his room after midnight with a cell phone. I don't know that Johnny is going to be able to resist the temptation to have ChatGPT write his paper for him. So we got to bring homework back um, and then supervise AI tools. And as you supervise AI tools, that, that evening dinner is so important of checking in with your kids because part of it is listen to how they are talking about the things in their life because it is a red flag if you start hearing kids talk about an AI tool as a person. Now the chat bot, chat relationship thing, 100% real, 100% a problem, it's a big problem in middle school. I promise you, parents, if you have a middle schooler, they know about it. And we have got to help them understand that you interact with AI, you have relationships with people. That's AI good. is not a human. AI imitates humans, and it will manipulate you. Uh, when Snap AI came out, I had a student who was going through a big loss and came and said to me, Miss Davis, how do you feel about me asking Snap AI about how to deal with this death in my family? And I said, well, we got to open the word and I'm glad you talked to me because we've got to have those relationships. This whole hand a kid a phone when they're two. Y'all kids are not even supposed to touch a device till they're four. That's what the research says. It's a terrible babysitter. Children should not have those phones. And this is the researcher. This is not just preachy old teacher who has an opinion. This is what the research says. I've interviewed over 800 educators on my podcast. This is what they say about children with devices. So there is a great future for us with AI, but we do have to supervise it. The last thing I would say is be really skeptical. AI is really good at imitating humans. And one thing that I recommend that every family do is to have a keyword so that you really know that you're really talking to the person who's on the other side of the phone. It, you know, there's enough language of, of you speaking that somebody could grab a sermon and if they had your wife's number, call her and, and say, this is Paul, and it would sound like you. So you got to have those keywords so you know this is really a person and this is who I know. So be, be skeptical, 
about um, people online because they could be a bot and just be skeptical. Don't be deceived. We're told that over and over. Don't be deceived. And, and deep fakes are a problem. They're part of this. And this is all the stuff that my poor students are having to hear on Sunday night as well as during the week. So we talk about all this stuff a lot. Well, I, I think the part to me that makes these nights so important is hopefully if you walked in the room tonight and you're like, I know nothing about artificial intelligence. I don't know why it's impacting us. I don't even know why we're talking about it in a church setting. Hopefully you're walking away right now saying, I at least understand a little bit more. There's some things to be concerned about. There's some good things it can be used for. And as believers, if you'll remember, there were, there were years and years that when believers wanted to understand how do you process world events, they went to church. It was in church that they were finding out how to process it through a biblical lens. I want that to be the case here tonight as well. So this last phase, I'm just going to simply turn our board over real fast. The last part is just follow-up pieces for people who are saying we want to make sure that either we can have other information that we're checking out afterwards, we can look at other resources. I, I recognize that sometimes you're getting far more information in a night than maybe what you have time to process. Um, so these are some pieces myself and Vicki were talking. Um, in fact, the top two, Jason Thacker, um, is one of our favorites when discussing the topic of AI. One of the best thinkers slash theologians you're going to find right now in the U.S. when it comes to issues of artificial intelligence. So those are two books that we would recommend. Another one is the 2019 Evangelical Statement of the Principles about AI. This came from the ERLC. Um, this was one of those early pieces that was put in place to help Christians understand how are we supposed to process these things? What should we be concerned about? How do we see them through a gospel lens? And then also, I'll, I'll let you on this one, Vicki, you had uh, one of your favorites. You said this is not a Christian it's writer. Not a, if you want to kind of know where the technology is heading, the future is faster than you think by Peter Diamandis. Um, but I do recommend the Evangelical Statement of the Principles about AI. It's only three pages. I think everybody should download it and read it and go over it with kids. And I was teaching ninth graders, and they were writing all these things on the board, and they looked at me and they said, Miss Davis, this is just the Bible. I said, yep, it is. Nothing new under the sun. Yep. Yep. And then another one that we've talked about before, about two years ago, a book called The Wisdom Pyramid. Um, this is just one of those pieces to help people understand where wisdom, again, fits into the flow of life. So hopefully, Lord willing, uh, you understand a little bit more about artificial intelligence. You understand a little bit more about how it fits within the gospel. And uh, Lord willing, you're not walking away afraid of things tonight but you have enough information to say, here's some concerns to keep my eyes open for, and at the same time, praying, God, would you help us to be good stewards of not only our time, but the resources, the tools that you make available to us. So we're gonna have a word of prayer, we'll close it out. Heavenly Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for allowing Vicki Davis to be here to share, and for this to be a part of the expertise um, the skill set that you have given her. Lord, we ask that as believers we walk away informed, but also not living in fear. God, thank you for this church. 
for the blessing of these people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful rest of your night.